You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org. Good morning. Ah, wake up, guys. It's gloomy outside. It's not gloomy in here. Good morning. All right. It's good to see each and every one of you. Um, I look forward to God moving as we worship him. Look forward to the message that God has placed on Jeff's heart. Guys, if you would take out your bulletin, just a few announcements. One that is not in there. You have done fantastic again and again as we have our blood drives. There will be another blood drive next Sunday morning. So if you would, um, just take note of that. Um, Many of you got these stones. They were passed out to you as you walked into uh, the worship center. If you did not get one, we will be giving them out as you exit. Um, If you were here last week, you heard um, Jeff share that he and his family will be beginning a new chapter in their life. It really begins the end of this month. His last day will be the end of February. Um, Jeff has sensed for some time God calling him to either serve as a lead pastor in a local church or as a teaching pastor in a local church. So as you place a stone on the dash of your car or on your table or on your bathroom counter, um, pray for Jeff and Carissa and Noah and Mara during this time of transition. Pray for our students during this time of transition. Pray for what we're calling the transition team. We have a strong group of student leaders and Jeff will be introducing them, each of them later. Pray for a search team that is already working hard and we will introduce them as well. And Jeff has said this, our staff has been praying and he mentioned this last week, God already knows. Remember, he is in control. God already knows where Jeff will be serving and God already knows who will be serving here as our next student minister. So I ask you, pray, get a stone. Don't get stoned, get a stone as you exit um, the service. Uh, In addition to that, do not forget that there are 20 people in Nairobi, Kenya as we speak. Um, tonight, our time, midnight, they will be beginning um, their first vacation Bible school. A team of 20 is the largest team we have ever sent to Nairobi, Kenya. If you're new here, they're working in the Mathari Valley, the poorest poor in Nairobi, Kenya. They will be leading Bible school for 180-ish Children, And um, as Kevin said, these children bless them again and again more than um, they are blessed. And so it really is quite, quite a blessing. We're always going somewhere. We're always acknowledging that God's blessed us to be a blessing. Bob Boozer will be uh, leading another living water team. I believe we've 
um, help drill about 18 water wells now, this church, over the last years. This next well will be in Guatemala. The team is leaving in May. Um, you need to get passports and visas in order now. And there are scholarships available if this is a first-time mission trip. We saw Brian Baker stand up here and someone, a former member of our church who's moved out of state, paid his way. And he's now a missionary working in Central America. God moves. He is in control. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your greatness, your faithfulness. We thank you for all the many opportunities you've given us to walk with you and to be your instrument of blessing in our world. Father, we lift up your name right now. We acknowledge your presence. Father, you know each of us by name. May we give you our attention. May we give you our affection as we worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you through giving. Father, you are our great God and you call us to trust you. Father, you call us to trust you with everything we are and everything we have. Father, you're faithful. Father, you bless us to be a blessing. Father, we've received your blessing. We proclaim we are a blessed people. Open our eyes to your blessing. And may we worship you through giving as we are a blessing to others. Father, bless all that is given today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. So before we start this morning, um, I just want to say thank you. Uh, this has been kind of a crazy week for, for me and my family. Uh, as you guys heard, Dale kind of announced earlier, um, we interviewed up here last week and, and I uh, shared about the transition that my family and I are going through that, uh, that we'll be stepping away from CFCC our last days coming up. I think Dale said end of February. I thought it was March 3rd. It may be quicker than I think. So we'll, <laughs> we'll see how that all plays out. Uh, but sometime soon uh, we'll have our last day. Uh, and many of you guys saw the, saw the interview uh, that was sent out on the, uh, the, the E! News this week. So uh, the news is kind of out, and 
your response has been uh, has been so so encouraging. Um, so many good conversations after church last week. Uh, so many text messages. So many emails. So many phone calls, and it meant the world to me. Totally validating. Uh, very encouraging that that we're definitely listening to God's call. You guys were were so encouraging. So some of the emails actually that you guys sent me. Uh, I'm going to keep for the rest of my life. I've got a special folder that when I have a bad day, I go in and I look at some of these emails and uh, they just mean the world. So from my family, thank you guys so much for your encouragement, for your support. Um, Thank you. Yeah, we uh, we feel the love and hopefully you feel the love as well. Um, We love you guys. So all that being said, it feels like a downer, but it's not. Like exciting things are happening. But um, we're going to continue our series this morning on the book of Acts. And the series is called Sent. And today we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 15. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 15. We'll spend most of our time in there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the little pocket on the pew in front of you. Uh, if you actually don't own a Bible, just take one of those. You can take that home. That's yours now. Uh, you can use your Bible app or follow the words on the screen. But while you guys are turning there to Acts chapter 15, I want to ask you a question. And I thought about like asking this question and then actually having you guys answer. Um, but with you guys knowing that my time here is limited, I don't trust all of you to answer these questions appropriately and, uh, and seriously. So this is rhetorical. Please don't say anything. You know who you are. Um, but what is the most difficult thing you've ever done? What is the hardest thing? you've ever done in your life. I've done a lot of things in my life that were difficult for me. And what's difficult for one person may not be difficult for another person, right? Um, a couple years ago, a couple pounds ago, I ran something called a Tough Mudder, which is basically the idea is it's like a 12 and a half mile obstacle course race. And it's very similar to running 12 miles while somebody's hitting you with a baseball bat. That's kind of what it felt like. It took me weeks to recover. It was awful, but I did it. Um, grad school was tough for me. Uh, I've gone on a lot of hikes that were really difficult for me. I've been to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. I've been to the top of the, the Grand Tetons and like all these other places in between. Some really, really tough trails. Uh, one of the toughest things I ever did was ask my wife out on our first date. And guys, you know what that's like. It's terrifying. Like it's not easy. Girls, I don't know if you understand, will ever understand how difficult that is putting yourself out there, but it worked, right? So that's exciting. So, um, All of those difficult things that I've done, there's actually one which will probably surprise you, the most difficult thing I've ever done, and I have to do it pretty regularly nowadays as a parent. Um, I do it at birthday parties, when my kids go to birthday parties, and I do this after their soccer games, and, and I hate this, but I have to do it all the time. The hardest thing in the world to do is put the little straw into a Capri Sun, like into the pouch of a Capri Sun. Have you guys ever tried to do this before? Uh, these little pouches are made out of like space shuttle material. Like they're almost impenetrable. And then they have a little plastic sleeve on the side that holds a straw. The end of the straw literally could go straight through your hand without any trouble at all, right? And so one of three things happens when you finally get the straw out of the wrapper and you've got all the soccer parents hanging out or all the parents at the birthday party. You've got this weapon in one hand. You've got this space shuttle pouch in the other And you guys know what I'm talking about. There's like a little spot where the straw is supposed to go, supposed to go. So one of three things happens. Either you push really hard and the straw bends and it jams into your hand right here. 
and you bleed like a stuck pig in front of everybody. Like you look like an idiot, right? Two, you try to jam it in, but it goes straight through the pouch to the other side. And then there's like stuff's just running down your hands. Or what typically happens to me, like after one and two happen, is you're like, I can do this, I can do this. And you just shove the straw through that little hole. But when you do that, like it's just kind of a natural physical response. You squeeze with this hand, you kind of do that. And then the Capri Sun goes all over you, it goes all over anyone that's close by. It's impossible to do that uh, without any trouble. And one of, uh, one of the things I used to hate, my kids are, are a little bit older now and they can probably do that better than I can. Probably anybody can do it better than I can. It's something I struggle with. But uh, when my kids were really little, they would get a Capri Sun at one of these birthday parties or, or somewhere and they would say, I want to do it. And I'm like, oh man, like I dialed nine and one on my phone, like it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Uh, and I would watch them struggle with it with their little tiny hands and, and they can't get the straw out and then they can't figure out where the straw goes and it's like so difficult and I want to help, right? But I also don't want to like kind of steal their thunder and I don't want to be controlling. So I, I watch them and I, I keep wanting to step in, but I don't. Do you guys know this feeling? Uh, and you watch as they just become defeated, like, I can't, I can't do this. And they finally reach that point that nobody likes to be at, where you say, I can't do this on my own. I need help. Like, I'm not going to be able to do this, Dad. You do this for me. And then, of course, I step in and I'm excited because they're not going to be the one bleeding from that little straw weapon. Uh, but even as adults, man, we hate asking for help. We don't like to say, I can't do this on my own. Right? We say, I do it myself. Like, I'm in control here. I can do this. I don't need help. Uh, even if somebody's standing right there that can help. I don't know how many times in HEB or Target or wherever I am, I'll walk down an aisle and there's somebody who's maybe just a little bit shorter than I am trying to get something off the top shelf. Right? And they'll be standing on the bottom shelf. You guys have seen this? And they're clinging to the shelf like right in front of them and they're reaching up all at the same time and it looks like the whole thing is going to come down. And so I stop and I'm like, hey, do you, do you need some help? No, I got it. I got it. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't have it. I know you don't. But since you're not going to let me help, do you mind if I take a video? Because this is going to be, this is going to be amazing, right? We make things so much harder for ourselves than we should. Amen. Uh, let's pray and then we'll, then we'll dive into scripture here this morning. Father, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for each person gathered here in this room. Father, thank you that we can be confident that you are here with us. And Father, we ask that you speak to us through your word this morning. We ask that you speak into our hearts and confront the lies that we so easily buy into. We ask that your truth take root in our hearts and our lives and that it flourishes and that it overflows. Father, speak to us. We are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Acts chapter 15. Um, there are three groups that kind of show up in this, this passage of scripture. I want to explain them a little bit before we start reading. Uh, there's the Jews, the Gentiles, and there's a group called the Judaizers, right? And they, there's other names that they're called in scripture. 
Uh, but I want to kind of explain who these three groups are uh, before, before we dive in, because I think it'll make a little bit more sense. If you have a bulletin and you're taking notes, uh, this is one of the little bits of homework that I'm going to give you. Uh, Genesis 17, just write down Genesis 17. What I'm about to share about the covenant, you'll find in Genesis 17, and you'll see it in a lot more detail than I'm going to give you this morning. Um, So read that at some point uh, this week. So Genesis 17 kind of gives the account of the covenant between God and Abraham, right? And God says that Abraham would be fruitful in spite of his old age. Abraham was very, very old when he has this conversation with God. And actually when, uh, when God says, you're going to have a son, you and Sarah are going to have a son, he laughs at God, kind of right in God's face, which is bold, right? Um, but God says that you're going to be fruitful, right? And what he's saying when he says that, that, that Abraham is going to be fruitful is um, that he's like the new Adam. Because the words fruitful kind of echo and reflect something that he, a blessing that he gave in creation, right? All the way back to creation. And again, that he gives after the flood to Noah. So fruitful means that I'm going to use you and your offspring, And that this covenant is part of the redemptive process to restore my relationship with you and your people that was was scarred by the fall in Genesis, right? So you have Abraham who becomes then the the patriarch of the Jews. He has a son named Isaac and Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons that we know as the the 12 tribes of Israel. These are where the 12 tribes of Israel come from. So this covenant helped to identify the people who believed in the promises that God made to Abraham. And the sign of the covenant was circumcision. Now, I believe that the reason I'm preaching this morning is because Dale didn't want to talk about circumcision. That's what I believe. And Kevin was so afraid of talking about it that he got on a plane and flew to the other side of the world, right? Uh, If you have any questions about circumcision, Dale would be glad to talk to you after the service about what that means. So, so that's the Jews. The Gentiles, and this is really simple, it almost seems too simple, the Gentiles were the people that were not the Jews, right? Really, really simple. Uh, they were not circumcised and they were not accountable to the covenant. And then there's this group called the Judaizers, and they believe, they were Jews, Pharisees, they believed that for a Gentile to follow Christ, that first that Gentile had to convert to Judaism. So he had to be circumcised and then had to continue to follow the law that the Jews follow, right? Um, the Judaizers, in some of the scriptures, they're, they're referred to as the circumcision party, which is the worst group name I've ever heard in my life. Like, not, not good PR people with that group, right? Um, if you're going to have a gang or a, or a crew, you don't want to be known as the circumcision party. Uh, but they were the Judaizers. So Acts chapter 15, we're going to start right here with verse 1. And it says this, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is that group, the Judaizers, right? And they say, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. This is a really strong statement that they're telling the Gentiles. Like, you cannot be saved. What Jesus did on the cross is not enough. You still have to be circumcised, right? 
uh, really, really arrogant to, to question the sufficiency of Christ's work on the cross uh, and very divisive. Verse two, and after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, which I think is probably a huge understatement. Okay, I can't imagine. Paul seems to be like a pretty heated guy and seems to get fired up pretty quickly. And so um, Luke writes, uh, had no small dissension and debate with them. I think they, they probably went at it pretty good there. Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So now they're going to go to Jerusalem to the church and they're going to talk with all the apostles and elders and they're going to kind of get to the bottom of this, uh, this issue of circumcision. circumcision. Verse three, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. Everyone is excited about the conversion of the Gentiles except this one group of people. There's something that they just, uh, they can't let go of here, right? Everyone else is excited. People are coming to Christ. Gentiles are coming to Christ. Everyone's excited except the Judaizers. Verse four, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses, right? This is like the ultimate Debbie Downer. Here's this, this giant group of people just talking about, look what God has done and God did this and the Holy Spirit showed up here. Great things are happening. The church is growing. People are, are receiving salvation, right? The kingdom is growing. The kingdom is moving forward. And they're like, right, right, I get that. Um, but they need to be circumcised and they need to follow the law. Now, most scholars don't believe this was a huge group of people and it never is, is it? Right? There's always like some small group that has kind of an agenda and they slow down the whole process, right? That's not a political statement. Both sides, at like the, the ends of the spectrum, the far left, far right, there's always something, right, that, they're, that they just can't let go of. Uh, so as a Debbie Downer, they, they speak up at this meeting. That's great. It sounds like God's doing great things. Anyway, here's what has to happen. We have to circumcise them. They still have to follow the law, right? Uh, the Holy Spirit is at work, and we see in Acts that the Holy Spirit is showing up, and the Holy Spirit is filling the, the Gentiles. Uh, he's at work. He's moving in the early church, and all they can think about is this law. And this law that they want the Gentiles to follow uh, maybe you've heard the word Torah before, which is the first five books of the Bible, which is, uh, I should know these, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers in Deuteronomy, or Deuteronomy Numbers, I'm not sure the order, but uh, I should know that. Um, but that's referred to as the Torah, which is the law. But there was more than just the Torah that they had to follow. There was also what we call the, the oral tradition, the oral law, which is just stuff that had been passed down verbally, like the stories your grandparents tell you, uh, and then you tell your kids and uh, so on and so on. So there's, there's more to the law. And the law had kind of been expounded upon. And it became more and more difficult. Right? And this may be an oversimplification of this. But uh, if, something, if there was something that you were s- supposed to abstain from. Like the, when they would expound upon it. They'd be like you can't even go to a place that has that thing you're supposed to abstain from. You can't be within 100 feet of people that... that that partake in that, right? Like they just, they're going so far out of the way to keep the law perfectly 
that it gets to a point, it's, it's impossible. Like nobody can follow this law. So what the Judaizers wanted was for the Gentiles first to convert to Judaism before following Christ. They were making conversion much more difficult than it needed to be by creating unnecessary hoops for people to jump through. Verse six, the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, again, I think probably an understatement, and the debate, so, so Gentiles and Jews had different traditions. Gentiles were allowed to eat foods that, that Jews couldn't eat because of the law. And so there's tension there. There's no question there's tension. Uh, and the cultures are different. And how exactly does that, does that mix together? And so this is worth talking about, right? So there was much debate. And then Peter stood up. And again, this is the apostle Peter. And I imagine if you're in a room and there's a debate happening and Peter stands up and starts to speak, probably the room goes silent, right? Peter stood up and he said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. I love that verse. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have ever been able to bear? God obviously knew that we wouldn't be able to do it on our own. Amen? We're going to need help. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. This is the gospel. This is the gospel in its simplest form. And there shouldn't be a form other than simple with the gospel. right? It's not rocket science. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord... Jesus, just as they will, right? We're not saved by anything that we do. We're saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. We cannot atone for our own sin. We need the grace of the Lord Jesus. We cannot make things right with God on our own terms. We need the grace of the Lord Jesus. The gospel is about grace. It's not about circumcision. And it's not about the law. And the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And then finally, in verse 19, uh, these are the words of James, the brother of Jesus, who was a leader in the church in Jerusalem. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. And loosely translated, stop. Stop doing that. Stop bringing this up. It's done. What Jesus did on the cross is sufficient. We're not going to trouble him with jumping through some hoops. Right? There's a new covenant now. And this covenant is through Jesus. The law that you're trying to, to follow, that law has been fulfilled in Jesus. That's done. Like you can't go back and redo it. That's finished. The law doesn't save us. 
It's God's grace that saves us. So James stands up and he puts this to rest. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul writes, starting at verse 16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith, faith in Christ Jesus. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Guys, that is really, really good news. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That's not what it takes. That's not what's going to do it. It sounds like good news. The path is clear. And it's already been done. We're free. We're free from the old covenant, from the circumcision. We're free from... Uh, from the law, and we're free from all of the things, all of the roadblocks, all the stumbling blocks, all the, all the things that can trip us up. We're free from those things because it has nothing to do with us at all. Isn't that good news? There's nothing you can do or can't do that can separate you from the love of God. So this passage in Acts chapter 15 has incredible historical importance, right, for the early church. This was a very important conversation for the church to be able to move forward, right? And the apostles and elders made the right decision. I don't think they need me to tell them that, right? Uh, But this was the right thing moving forward. Perhaps even more important than the historical significance, however, is the clarity and focus that this passage gives us on what exactly the gospel is. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses eight and nine say this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Where you're writing down your homework for the, re- for the week, Ephesians 2, verses eight and nine. Uh, I would love for you guys to read this a couple times this week. Maybe write it on the mirror, not your rearview mirror in your car, it's dangerous. The mirror at home, like when you're brushing your teeth in the morning and before bed, both times. Um, But just put it somewhere where you know you're going to see it a couple times. And I want you to remember this. This is the good news. This is the gospel. By grace you have been saved through faith. The simplicity is in what it doesn't say. All the things that we try to, to add in there, they're not there. right? It's just by grace through faith. And this is not your own doing. There's nothing we can pat ourselves on the back for. It's the gift of God. It's a gift. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. If we could do this on our own, if we could receive salvation on our own, there is absolutely no reason for Jesus to come to earth and die on the cross. Right? It has nothing to do with what you do or what you don't do. Grace is completely independent of any action on our part. The gospel is simple in spite of the Judaizers and often, oftentimes us because we do the same sort of things and our attempts to complicate it. So the question that I have for you this morning is simply this. What are the hoops that you believe you need to jump through to find salvation? And we're not going to answer these things out loud, so you, you can be honest. 
What are the things that you feel like you need to do to earn your salvation? What are the hoops that you have to jump through? What is it that you think you need to do? Where have you believed something that's not true that separates you from the love of Jesus? Right, there's a couple things really that we do and I've kind of broken it down to two just to kind of get you thinking. So I want you to be able to identify what those things are. Oftentimes we kind of have this, this desire and this hope that we can figure it out on our own, that we, that we have to be perfect before we approach the throne, right? Um, I've had conversations with so many people over the years that, that when you talk about God's grace, they say something like this, but you don't understand what I've done. Like what they have done, what's happened in their life is so much worse than what anyone else has ever done that they're, they're not gonna be able they're not going to be able to step forward and receive salvation. There's, there's a block, right? And they lay that block for themselves. And so they think that if I can just take care of this, if I can, if I can defeat this, this enemy in my life, if I, can, if I can battle this demon and put that behind me, then I can, I can go stand before Jesus. Then I'm worthy to go stand before Jesus, right? That's bad theology. But it's so common and sometimes even when we know it's bad theology, we still accept it. And we still live in that place. It's really easy to look at someone else and say, man, I know what you're doing here. Right? And this is, this is wrong. That theology is flawed, but we're doing the same thing in our own heart and maybe don't realize it. Maybe if I can get everything in order, maybe if I can make things right, maybe if I can defeat my addiction. Hear this, his grace is sufficient. Amen? His grace is sufficient. And sometimes, maybe we really believe that we can get there on our own. We can do enough stuff. It's about morality, right? And we spin our wheels and we exhaust ourselves our whole life trying to do good things. Maybe we're trying to gain God's attention, which the truth is we already have it, Right? But we're, we're trying to kind of flag them down, like, look at me, look what I'm doing, look at all this good stuff. And we're hoping that it's going to just be enough to get by. And we live in a world where that's the reality here, right? We have to do stuff to get people's attention. And we have to earn things here. That's not the way it is. Uh, maybe it's stubbornness or pride. I, I have to be honest, I can't tell the difference between those two most of the time. They look very similar, Right? Uh, but we feel like I can do this on my own. I can do enough good stuff. Guys, that's exhausting. Stop it. Stop. His grace is sufficient. Let go. Second Corinthians, uh, in Second Corinthians, there's a verse that says, now is the favorable time. Today is the day of salvation. Right? Whatever it is that's keeping you from letting the gospel really take root in your life, to live a life free from sin, to live a life filled with grace and with hope and with peace, to live the life that God has for you and is offering you, right? whatever, whatever those things are that block that, whatever, whatever holds you back, uh, today is a day of salvation. You can let go 
of those things and you can respond and allow that gospel of grace to take root and change you from the inside out. Does that make sense? Like Jesus' work on the cross was sufficient. All of the things that hold you back, he's already taken care of those things. There is nothing, nothing that you will be held in judgment for if you receive his grace. Today is the day of salvation. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the gospel. Father, we thank you for your grace. And we thank you that our salvation is not dependent on anything that we can do, but on what you have already done. Father, I love those words uh, in the gospel. It is finished. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that. Thank you, Father, for your patience, for our lack of understanding. And Father, forgive us for complicating the good news, for laying stumbling blocks in the path to salvation for other people and even for ourselves. Father, forgive us when we complicate things when we take the the good news, the simple good news that you loved us enough to die for us and that your grace is sufficient. Uh, Forgive us when we complicate that and we turn that into a mess. Father, we pray that your message of grace will be loud in our lives, Father, so that others may see it. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to move into a time of communion. And this is a time where we, uh, as, a, as a community, come forward and we identify ourselves with the work that Jesus did on the cross, right? We'll come forward. We take communion by intention, which just means that when you come forward, someone will hand you a piece of bread and they'll say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And that, that broken body of Christ is why you have grace. That's where your grace comes from, right? So as you receive that, you then dip it in the cup as someone says, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. That's the gospel, very simple. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. There's nothing else that needs to take place, right? It's right there and he's offering this to you as a gift. So as our servers come forward and prepare the stations, when you come forward this morning, know that you're responding to that gospel message, right? This is, this is all you need. His grace is sufficient, amen? Come as you led. You guys can be seated. Just a couple things as we wrap up the service we wanted to share with you guys. And I'm not going to make any friends doing this because I didn't, I didn't tell my folks that we were doing this. Uh, but just to let you guys know, moving forward, uh, we have what we're calling a transition team in place. Uh, I have the best volunteer leaders in student ministry in the history of mankind. There's no question about that. And so... Um, We're in the process of kind of planning all the details of each Sunday night through the rest of the spring. And by the time uh, I step down, everything's going to be planned for student ministry all the way through the end of the summer, actually. So the transition team is going to kind of hold it together. um, And they're going to do, like, they're really not going to miss a beat. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, They're going to do a great job. Um, But I want to have those people stand Uh, Again, I'm not going to make friends doing this, but all of my volunteer leaders, if you're in the room, I love you. I'm sorry I didn't tell you ahead of time, Uh, but these are the amazing people uh, that are going to be helping in the transition. 
There's actually, there's three back there in the corner hiding. I'm not going to let you get away with it. Yeah, yeah, the Grants and Joey. So uh, keep them in your prayers as, as we move forward in the transition. You're too nice, Jeff. I'm going, so there's another team at work and I just have to say, Jeff has been so intentional about preparing these workers. Um, Long before anyone knew of this transition, um, you've passed ministry on to them again and again and again. And and really that's what a strong ministry is about. A second team that we've mentioned to you is the search team. I'm not as easy as Jeff is on people, so I'm going to ask them to come forward at this time, all right? Jason Velasquez is in Kenya, and so we want to pray for Jason, but also Joey and Dan, Michaela, come on down, all right? Edie, and then uh, Robert, Edie Hanrads and Robert um, handrads. As they come forward, just a, a final word on the stone, okay? There will sermon. be more stones uh, in the foyer as you're leaving. Please pick one up. Now, we're a little frustrated with Jeff, but these are not to stone Jeff, all right? Amen. That's correct. Not That's to correct. stone Jeff, all right? These are reminders that we need to pray for Jeff and his family, the transition team, the students, their families, and this um, search team. Before we pray for this team, um, I was corrected. Or I'm, I mean, I'm seldom wrong, but every now and then I'm wrong. Uh, don't ask my wife. Um, the VBS team of 20 Um, They're not working with 180 kids. I've done this. How I've missed it. They're working with 600 children. So as you lay your head on your pillow tonight, just pray for them because at midnight, um, the first day of vacation Bible school will begin. Jeff's going to pray. I said I was going to pray, but Jeff's going to pray for this team And you see some of them, Michaela and Joey, doing double duty, transition team and search team. And so we want to pray for them in particular uh, for balance and health um, during uh, a busy, busy time. Jeff, would you pray for us? Yeah, and and join us in this prayer and just moving forward. Again, I've said this before, uh, God knows who this person is that's going to come in and is going to step into this role and I am convinced they'll come in and hit it out of the park. How can they not with the volunteers that we have in place and the students that we have? Uh, so somewhere on this planet is somebody who's also in transition, which is not always easy. And that person may be sweating and scared to death, not knowing where God is leading them. Uh, just love on that person starting today just by lifting them up in prayer. Transition is tough. And they may they may be kind of in the dark about about what's happening. So... Uh, yeah, let's lift that person up as well. Definitely. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we, uh, we acknowledge that you are um, in the midst of this transition. We acknowledge that you are in control of this transition, God, that you knew about this long before we did and that nothing that's happening is surprising you. And God, we know that, that sometimes as we wonder and we, uh, we wrestle with the transition, we wrestle with change because change is not fun. Uh, it never is uh, as we wrestle with it, God. We know that you're smiling 
uh, because you know that there's something better ahead for all of us, uh, Father, as a church, as a student ministry. And uh, Father, I just pray that you be with the search team. Uh, I love the search team. There's not a person on the search team, God, that doesn't have a connection to student ministry. And I know that their, their hearts are in the right place and they're, um, uh, they're seeking after you uh, in this process. And God, I just pray that you be with them, encourage them, give them wisdom. Uh, and Father, just, um, just be with them as they, as they move forward and they lead uh, our church in this, uh, in this search. And uh, Father, be with our volunteers and the transition team as they, uh, as they lead the student ministry uh, in the interim. And uh, God, Michaela and Joey, uh, like Dale said, doing double duty. I'm so thankful for them and their leadership and their friendship in this time. And uh, Father, finally, whoever this person is, Father, that I know you can see them right now and you know that it's, everything's going to be great uh, and that you're raising that person up for such a time as this. Father, we just pray for that person that right now that they be encouraged, that they're not alone in their transition, God, that, uh, that you have a place for them and you have an amazing church, an amazing congregation that's waiting for them, uh, that, will, that will open the doors and open their arms, Father, and, and just welcome them and, and their family uh, into, this, uh, into this ministry. And uh, Father, I just pray that you be with them and just encourage them, and, and may they be aware of your presence, and may they be completely aware that you're in control and that you have this, that you've got this. Uh, Father, just be with them. Uh, during this time, whatever they're doing right now. Uh, God, we thank you for, um, for today, and we thank you for all that you're doing in the life of this church, and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Have a great week.